0: morning, church. Huh, there we go. Morning, Crosspoint. Uh, it's great to be here um, again this morning. Uh, okay, so today we're going to be continuing in the book of Psalms. Uh, we'll be in Psalms chapter 8. And while you turn there, I'll kind of get us started. Uh, Psalm chapter 8. Uh, this past weekend, my family and I had the opportunity to go to the west coast of Florida to, uh, to Longboat Key. And if you guys have not been there, do yourselves a favor and make a trip out to the west coast. Absolutely beautiful. It's a gem. And um, if you're anything like me, you probably have had some of the same uh, tensions that I'm getting ready to describe, where um, whenever we go on a vacation, we go to this nice location, there's always a tension that we have between enjoying the moment and trying to capture the moment at the same time. And so there were some really beautiful sunsets that we saw, uh, took lots of pictures, and then there's a sense in which you, you stand in awe of nature and what God has created, and you wanna be able to enjoy the moment, but it's like you try to get your camera out and you try to take pictures, but the pictures just don't do justice to the beauty of what you're actually beholding. And so there's this tension between, do I sit and just soak up the beauty of what I'm seeing, and how do I actually take this home with me so that I can remember it? There's a tension there. And there's also another tension where, you know, if you actually try to describe what you're seeing to somebody, like if you've had this experience and you try to to explain that to someone else, for them to actually get what you're experiencing is very difficult. And so you try to articulate as best as you can, like, this is what I've experienced. And they're like, yeah, okay, it sounds like you had a great trip, right? And it's like, well, yeah, it's more than that, right? And so there's a sense in which people just have to experience for themselves what it is that you're describing so that they can actually get it for themselves. And as we go into today's psalm, it's one of great, deep worship. And what David describes in this psalm Culminates in this deep sense of worship, and so my prayer for us today is that we would be able to connect in some way, shape, or form to what David is describing. That we can join in with his experience of worship, and it's almost like if all of us were to go to, I don't know, to, to a particular place for a vacation, and we all had the same experiences and we all testified of the greatness of this place that we've gone to. There's a certain fellowship that we're then able to have because we have a common experience. And so my hope for us today is that we join in with David and experience what he is describing as this majestic Lord. The the title of the sermon is the majestic Lord, that we would also be able to join in with David in this beautiful sense of worship. Um, I know that all of us are coming into this sermon with different things. You know, some of us have sickness that we're dealing with. Some of us have emotional and relational turmoil that affects the way that we hear the sermon. We never come in the sermon the same way every time. We always have these things that we're wrestling with that can prevent us from being able to hear exactly what God is saying to us today. Maybe some of us are disconnected. Some of us may be distracted. You didn't eat breakfast this morning. You're just thinking about food. Like, when are we going to get out of here? When am I going to be able to get something to eat? And sometimes it's difficult to be in the moment to hear what God has to say for us today. And so my encouragement to all of us today before we get into the the sermon is just to surrender where we are to him in this moment. Wherever we are, whatever the distractions are, whatever the concerns are, that we would be able to admit like God, this is just where I'm at right now. I feel disconnected. Whatever it is that just in this moment that we would be able to surrender this moment to God and pray that whatever he will hear and whatever he will, will reveal to us, that we will be able to hear that. And even if it's just a seed that's stoned today, this morning, that we will be able to receive what God has for us today. So we're going to read um, Psalm chapter 8. We'll pray and then we'll get into the sermon for today. Uh, if you can stand with me, please, as we read Psalm chapter 8. I'll be reading from the N-I-B. And it says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glories in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and uh, and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flock, all herds and the animals of the wild the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we are at your mercy. We are at your mercy, Lord. Nature screams out, God. And so I pray for what you have made visible for us to see and for us to touch, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself in these brief moments, and God, we submit our hearts and our minds to you, Lord God. You know where each and every person is this morning, in this moment, and I pray that by your divine grace, Lord God, that you would cause these distractions and and these things that cause us to not be present, Lord God, to be removed so that we can hear what you are saying to us, and that our souls can join in with David and say how majestic of a God you are. And so we wait on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so David makes a series of observations, and from each one of these observations, he makes a statement about God. And if I could sum it all in one phrase, it's you are majestic. As revealed in all facets of creation, you are a majestic God. Heaven screams your name. I see the imprint of you all over nature. The way that you deal with mankind, I can see your markings over every facet of creation. And my conclusion is that you are beyond description. You are excellent. You are out of this world. You are majestic. And so first, who are we talking about? Verse 1 makes it very clear. There are two different words for God used in the Hebrew. The first one is LORD, all caps, meaning the self-existent eternal one. That's who he is in his being. And then the second Lord, our Lord, means master. And so what David is saying here is that you're not only this self-existent eternal God, but I relate to you as you being my master, it's one thing for somebody to have a position of authority, but it's a totally different thing how you relate to that person in authority. I remember some time back hearing someone say, uh, you, you may be the president uh, of the United States, but you're not my president, right? It's one thing for somebody to be in a position of authority, but how we relate to that person is a totally different thing. And so David is saying, not only are you an eternal self-existent God, but you are my Lord. Oh, Lord. Our Lord, how majestic is your name. That is my assessment. That's my summary of who you are. You are excellent in the way that you've manifested yourself all throughout that which has been made. You have set your glory above the heavens. You are the one whose glory is not only in the heavens, but it's above the heavens, that heaven itself cannot contain you, that I see your name all throughout creation. I'm picking up on the cues that you have given me to see with my eyes and with my ears And with my hands, I can sense, I can touch you, I can see you. And I'm observing all that you've created, and I'm finding out more about you and the way that you operate. And so observation number one, the first observation, first slide here. Observation one, the praise from the mouths of infants directed toward God. Look at verse two. two. It says, through the praise of children and infants you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the agenda. The enemy has been stopped in his tracks. It's interesting that this same verse is quoted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. And this is when Jesus Christ was clearing out the temple because of the... the, the, The religious leaders, how they were, had turned God's house into a marketplace. And in Matthew chapter 21, verse 15, this is what Jesus says. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And in response, they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Referring to the children who were saying, Hosanna to the son of David, And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. These children had actually recognized and acknowledged who Jesus was. And so on the next slide, I simply have this, that praise is what emerges as a result of when our hearts and our minds are aligned with the reality of who God is. That praise emerges As a result of when our hearts and our minds are aligned with the reality of who God is. When we acknowledge God in his fullness, praise automatically results. When we truly get who God is and how he has revealed himself to us, praise comes about. And that has nothing to do with our wisdom or our own abilities. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 says this, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And in Matthew chapter 11 verse 25, he goes on to say, at this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. There's this sense in which God uses the foolish and the weak things of this world to confound the wise. And so point number one is simply this, that when our understanding of God is aligned with his, he causes the resulting praise to become a stronghold against which the enemy cannot stand. When our understanding of God is aligned with his, he causes the resulting praise to become a stronghold against which the enemy cannot stand. And so in that sense, David is saying, you are a majestic God. He used the praise of infants and babies who have very undeveloped speech, but he uses that as a means to establish a stronghold against the enemy, observation number one. Observation number two, he looks to the heavens, the work of his fingers, the moon, and the stars. Look at verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care? So he's looking at all these heavenly bodies, and he's making this connection between those heavenly bodies and God caring. How is he making this connection? Well, if you can, for one moment, consider the contingencies that are necessary for our survival, it is undeniable that God does care for mankind. We don't have to worry about gravity. We don't have to worry about staying on the ground. We don't have to worry about the earth rotating, oxygen, rain, all these things that we often take for granted, we don't have to worry about. In fact, even if we consider the contingencies that are necessary for life on this earth, we're in what's called the Goldilocks zone. Some of you science buffs might know what I'm referring to, but it's essentially that Earth exists in this sweet spot where it's just right for the existence of human life, whereas on other planets, it just you know, the conditions are just not there to sustain life. And so God, uh, David is saying that God has orchestrated all of these things for our survival, And that it communicates to us that he cares. And it has nothing to do with us. But not only does he care, but verse 5 makes it clear that he is mindful of us. Not only does God care, but his mind is towards us. That word mindful comes from the Hebrew word zakar, which refers to an active remembrance. It's not just this mental activity of just remembering as we think of remembering, but it's an active remembrance. And one of the uh, comment- commentators described, uh, defined it as such. It says, to employ the hands, the feet, and lips to engage in whatever action the remembrance requires. So it's not just this mental activity, but it's actually actions that are consistent with remembrance. And so the same word is used in Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 that says this, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were in him, that were with him in the ark. And God made a window, uh, a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So God remembered through the action of the wind blowing over the earth and causing the waters to subside. Genesis chapter 19 verse 29 says, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered. He zakarred Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Again, the same word is used there in the Hebrew. Genesis chapter 30, verse 22 that God remembered Zachar, Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken my reproach away. A very personal remembrance that God had for Rachel. Zachar, same word. And again, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days of the king, during those many days of the king of Egypt, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery Came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And of course, we know that God eventually sends Moses and he delivers his people. And the same word is used here again, Zakar, that God actively remembered his people. And so not only is God a God that cares and and and, and that remembers his people, but he actively remembers us. And so point two is simply this, that God preserves his relationship with mankind because of his active remembrance of them. God remembers his people. Observation number three. Verse five. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. Verse 7 says, all sheep, all oxen, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And so all of these things God has put under the foot of man. Observation number three, humans in relation to to heavenly beings. And so the first thing that he says in verse five is that he made them a little lower, meaning that they're lacking what these heavenly beings have. They don't have we don't have what heavenly beings have. But the paradox is that even though we were made lower than the angels, he had given us God like responsibilities, that we are the beings that God has chosen to mirror the authority of God on earth. And the crazy thing is that even though we are broken beings, that we can still reflect this all through our creation. Verse six says that he put all things under his feet. Everything that's on the fields, everything that's in the heavens, everything that's in the seas. So the seas, the heavens, and the land, everything, is under the dominion of God, uh, of man. If we think for a moment of how we've exercised our dominion over all three of these things, even though man has done some great things, there's a lot that we have just really, as human beings, have not managed well. And what I find interesting is that this term that he uses for crowning means to encircle, to surround, to encircle for protection. And the glory in the Hebrew, speaks of a weighty responsibility. So when we combine these different images, what we really have is an image of beings who've been created not with the power that heavenly beings have, but yet and still we were given this weighty responsibility to reflect God's dominion over creation and that God surrounds us to be able to carry this out. And so what we see is really a picture of how God intended... For mankind to live in relationship with him. And so the key idea here is that God has made provisions for us to walk in reflection of him, even in our brokenness. Even as broken human beings, we have the cap- capacity to reflect God in this world. And God knew that we were going to blow it. God knew that we were going to blow it. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, He makes that provision through the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 6 says this. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At the present time, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him referring to Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of suffering, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And so Jesus sends the man, Jesus, to model what it is to live in proper relationship with him. And we also, when we live in full dependency on God, we can accurately reflect who he is in this world. And so point three is simply this. Only in full dependence of your enabling provision can man truly reflect God in this world. That he makes it possible when we are dependent on him, we can fully reflect who God is in this world. You are a majestic God. And so he concludes in verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He makes the praise that's directed toward him a stronghold. He preserves his relationship by actively remembering his people. And he enables us to reflect who he is even though we are broken beings. You are a majestic God. I don't know where we are this morning, each person, like I stated in the intro, that everybody is in a different place. And I think there's a sense in which our lives can become so consumed with managing the responsibilities of life that we miss out on not only the beauty that we see in nature, but who God is and what he has called us to do in this world. Nature screams out the existence of God. Nature screams out that I care for man, that I would go through all of this creation of the universe and the solar system and have us placed in this unique spot to not only just live and to enjoy life, but ultimately that we would reflect who God is in this world. And knowing that mankind would blow it, he makes the provision through the person of Jesus Christ, who was made a little bit lower than the angels, so that we could actually reflect who God is in this world. And David is saying all of this stuff combined, my goodness, you are out of this world. Like you are truly a majestic God. And so I pray that as we hear God's word and as we even leave here and we go into the world and we just observe the beauty that's in the world that it just not end with us just taking pictures and just looking at nature and it just ending with nature itself but that it points to the purposefulness with which God has not only created the world but the purpose for which he has us here existing in this day and this time to reflect who he is even in our brokenness. And so today, the invitation is simple. Just the invitation to stillness before God. And often, like I said, with the busyness of life and the responsibilities that we have, we often have difficulty just listening and just observing and just tapping into what God has not only revealed through nature, but what he's trying to say to us about himself and why we are here on earth. And so I'd like to close out in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for what you have created. And for so much that's in nature that speaks of you that we don't even understand or that we are oblivious to. And for the purpose for which you have us here, Lord God, which is to reflect you. God, in our brokenness, we are unable to truly reflect who you are. And it's only by the grace that you provide that we can do so. And so we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray.